My name is Anne Makasinski, and I beat the often path by staying true to who I am and what I've always loved doing since I was a child. Um, I am 24 years old. I'm from Vancouver Island, BC, Canada, but I currently live in New York City. Um, and I am, I guess, kind of a Renaissance woman. I have many different passions and skills in a variety of topics, which include inventing, writing, film, speaking, etc. Oh, the weather outside is frightful, and the fire is so delightful. Since we've no place to go, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. Welcome back to the Beat the Often Path podcast. I'm your host, Ross Palmer. It's a winter wonderland out here in California, and we've got a fabulous show for you today. Joining me is Anne Makasinski, child prodigy Wunderkind, and other titles that she'd seriously object to me giving her. I'm sure you'll agree with me, however, that these monikers are only slightly hyperbolic, as she accomplished more before she turned 15 than I did before. Well, let's not get into comparisons, okay? <coughs> In 2013, she achieved international recognition through her patented invention of a flashlight that's powered by body heat, bringing her exciting new technology to a practical application that can benefit countless people around the world without access to power. She's been on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, on Time Magazine, she's been featured Forbes 30 Under 30, and she's won the Google Science Fair, and she's done so much crazy shit. Today we talk about dealing with the expectations of being labeled a child prodigy, about having and pursuing multiple interests that other people don't necessarily understand, and about being true to our authentic selves, whatever that means. In short, this 21st century renaissance woman is a perfect guest for this show. So here's Anne Makasinski. So, not a whole lot going on there. First of all, a pleasure to meet you. I think you've did more before you were 12 years old than I've done in my whole life, so this is going to be really, really fascinating. Uh, so, uh, Vancouver, Vancouver Island. Is Bouchard Gardens something that you know well? Yes, yes, I know many tourists frequent the place, and I went there as a kid a lot, too. I actually should go back. It's been many years. That Rose Garden was one of my favorite things I've ever seen. I love that oh, place. Oh, cool. Beautiful. Where did you go? Uh, many years ago, probably 10 years ago. Okay, But I just cool. remember being like, this is the place. And there's also an area called Ross something or other, so I took a picture in front of that. Ross That's my Bay claim Cemetery? to fame. No, no, it's in the garden itself. It's like oh, Ross Fountain or okay, Ross I Waterfall. I have to go drink. So anyways, beautiful, <laughs> love it, but you're not there now. You're in New York City. Yeah. So you just said a whole lot of stuff. You've done incredible things with your life. You've been featured on all kinds of publications and all of that. But maybe give us a bit of an introduction to kind of how you got started. You said you followed your passion. What was that passion? When did it start? Um, well, I have many passions. But yes. I mean, the story that I usually tell is that uh, when I was growing up, my first toy was a box of transistors and other electronic parts. Um, my parents kind of came from very different cultural backgrounds and very different experiences growing up. Um, my dad was born during World War II in Poland, and my mom comes from a very tiny village in the Philippines. So they both kind of grew up not having a lot. And they actually believed, even though we were living in Canada and more well-off than they were growing up, um, when I was growing up, they were like, if we give Anne less to play with, she will be more creative with whatever she does have. And that will perhaps induce a more creative childhood and mindset going into her adult life. Um, so anyways, my first toy was a box of transistors from there. I had a hot glue gun and I would collect garbage from around the house and piece together my very first 
inventions, which of course never worked, but the idea of taking the resources around me and piecing them together to make something that could improve my situation or solve a problem kind of just came out of necessity. Um, I was also raised on operas and classical music, and uh, I became obsessed with opera. (laughs) I still am. But also my first film was in 1939, uh, I want to say 38, but I'm pretty sure it's 1939 film, um, Alexander Nevsky by Eisenstein. So I just had a very different kind of like art side to myself as well as the science side. Um, I was watching a lot of silent films by Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton, Harold Lloyd. So I was very out of date. None of my classmates knew anybody that I talked about most of the time. So you're like a liberal arts professor's child's dream, basically. <laughs> Sergei Eisenstein to start. And Charlie yeah. Chaplin, huge fan of Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton. Obviously, comedy a big part of my life, um, all those classics. So you had a very well-rounded childhood with a focus on a lot of artsy intellectual things. I That's guess, yeah. I was just kind of a very creative childhood, I guess, both in the arts side of my passions and also scientists. I was always like taking old computers apart, whatever I could find, starting to invent things that mm-hmm. again, never worked, but it was, it was just a very creative childhood. And I feel really lucky to have been given that space to do things like that. Yeah, that's, that's truly remarkable. And what was the first breakthrough invention? I know, but we'll tell our what was the um, first so was, practical invention that you made? I was doing a lot of different science fairs. Uh, I did 10 science fairs from grade 6 to grade 12. So every year I made a different invention in the area of alternative energy harvesting, which is harvesting energy that's always around us, but we don't necessarily take advantage of regularly all the time just yet. Um, so I was making a lot of inventions. And then in my grade 10 slash grade 11 year, um, I had made this flashlight for my friend in the Philippines who had failed her grade in school because she couldn't afford electricity. So she had no light to study with at night. So I made a flashlight that runs off the heat of the human hand for her to solve her problem. And that was my science fair project that year. I applied for the Google science fair and won my age category there. And this very embarrassing video of me explaining my flashlight for my Google science fair application went viral and things kind of changed for me, I think, at that point, which was the start of my grade 11 year in high school. Mm-hmm. So your friend, I mean, we tend to get so caught up in the issues that bother us, like how many followers do we have? How much money do we have? All of these things. How did you become aware that your friend didn't have access to electricity? Well, I'm half Filipino. So yeah. I visited the my mom's village a few times in the Philippines growing up and had made some friends. And Back in the day, there was something called Yahoo Messenger. I'm not sure if it still exists or not, but I would keep in touch with a few of them on there. um, And they would go to internet cafes where you like pay money to like use a computer and have internet. So she wrote to me um, one day through that and told me her situation. And it really surprised me because, you know, I was growing up on Vancouver Island where we took flicking on the light switch and, you know, things that seem very basic. We took it for granted. So I think at my young age to learn that a girl that was just like me, but in a different part of the world, didn't have something as simple as light really shocked me. And I wanted to do something about that. Mm-hmm. So did you always have the idea that you would bring these inventions to the world? Was that something that you considered early no, on? Or was it all. just a byproduct? Not at all. Um, okay. I just made science fair projects and I like did not talk about them to my, most of my friends. I was like embarrassed to be considered a 
quote unquote nerd or mm-hmm. science geek. Cause I already looked the part at that age. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, uh, yeah, I was never considering that at all. And I was so surprised when people got so excited about my invention. I just, I truly got very lucky because there are so many other much more brighter, much more intelligent science fair kids that made really cool inventions and technology and contraptions. But I think I just, it was a, you know, a dose of luck where I was just at the right place, at the right time I could. And I think being able to communicate my ideas efficiently and um, it was a very simple invention as well. So many people could understand it really helped uh, my project at that time take off. Mm-hmm. And are these science fairs, is this like a Canadian thing? Because when I grew up, we had science fairs, but it was like once a year, not much focus put on it. Yes. Yeah, so very once pathetic a year. showings. Okay. Um, science fairs happen all around the world. So I would do my local science fair, which was the Vancouver Island Regional Science Fair. Then I qualified a couple of times and I went to the Canada-wide science fair. So everyone around Canada would go to that. Then there was something called the International Intel Science and Engineering Fair, which now is a new name because I think they have a new sponsor. And that's a worldwide science fair. So there would be over a thousand projects. I don't remember the exact number from all around the world that will come and who have qualified to get to the science fair. And to qualify for the Intel science fair, if you were American, it was a little more complicated because there's so many different states. So like they would have their own state fairs and then the top people and would compete and da da da. But for Canada, you would, if you had gone to the Canada wide science fair, you would apply to go again to the Intel um, and hope you would get in. And then the Google science fair was another worldwide, um, slightly more virtual science fair at first because everyone could apply online. It didn't matter what your background was. And then you got selected as one of the 90 regional finalists. And then the top 15 were selected to go to Mountain View to Google's headquarters and compete there. Wow. So that's huge. Big, big, big deal. And were you, did you, were you emboldened by the prior success to do something like Google? Who, whose idea was that to submit it there? Oh gosh. I don't know. I think it was either a science teacher or a photographer that I knew at my high school that had like mentioned that like they had heard about this Google science fair happening and that I should apply. Cause I had like recently won at the Canada wide science fair and my school had heard about it. Um, so I just, as a good high school student, I completely forgot that to apply until the night of the deadline. Um, so when I applied, I either had the option of submitting a video explaining my project or a PowerPoint. And I was like, I don't have any time for a PowerPoint. So I just like submitted this video and my written report from previous science fairs and then got selected. Yeah. That's incredible. And in 2013, you ended up winning the Google science fair. How did that change your life? What was the consequence of that? Winning the Google Science Fair taught me that anything is possible yeah. if you put your mind to it and are dedicated and work really hard. Um, it also kind of gave me this boost to kind of take off and do what I wanted with the success or whatever you want to call it from winning the yeah. fair. Um, and that kind of has led to where I am currently uh, in life. So I am really thankful for what the Google Science Fair was able to give me. And that at that time, I was able to take all these opportunities and be able to step up to the plate and do that because there was no media training, which should have been part of the thing. Um, mm-hmm. Once you want the fair and like, you know, I was getting my parents, my school was getting all these requests for interviews and everything. And because I had taken a bunch of speech lessons and I loved speech competitions and science fair was a big training point of being able to elocute and explain yourself properly. Um, I was able to kind of 
step up and and be that quote unquote child genius that the mm-hmm. that the news outlets loved, but it never really felt like an accurate depiction of who exactly I was. Look, Ma, I invented something because I'm curious and intelligent. Wonderful, you're an inventor, our little inventor, always inventing things. Inventor boy, inventor boy, we shall call you. Flash forward 15 years. Hey, Ma, I like classical music and the magic of cinema. Let me tell you about the Kuleshov effect. It's really... Not now, honey. Eat this bowl of soup. Besides, you're not a musician or a filmmaker. You're an inventor, silly. You did something once when you were 15 years old, and now it will define you for the rest of your life. Now eat up. But Ma... Hush now, my little inventor. Once you've done something once, that's all you'll ever be. Oh, I definitely want to dive into that. Why do you think it was not accurate? Because I never saw myself as someone who was really good at science or genius. I think all my parents and all my friends would would laugh if you said that to them. I think I'm just a really creative person who had an idea and followed through and made it. And in today's society, that's really rare, I think, to find. Because I think yeah. we all have really great ideas. But being and it, but it's one thing to like be with your friends and be like, oh, wouldn't it be so cool if this cool. existed? But then it's another yeah. thing to follow through and actually try to make it. So. Um, yeah, I just, and it only felt like whenever I got interviewed, I'd be asked this amount of questions mm-hmm. out of like the whole circle of who mm-hmm. I was. So all everyone saw or what the media chose to see and ask about was the science side of me mm-hmm. when I'd always had such a big passion in film. And it's really mm-hmm. funny because, um, there was like a film project floating around that didn't take off, yeah. but in grade 12, this woman that was working for this director came to my school. She followed me around for a week and she interviewed all my friends, my best friends and all my teachers. And I never got to see what they said to her, but I recently got my hands on the interviews and all of them had said that they thought I was going to go into film or directing. And they were all very surprised by my science fair success because like nobody really knew about it. (laughs) Oh, I love that. That's exactly why I created the show. Exactly. Because my whole life, I've never fit into a box either. And my whole life, people always tried to put me in a box, whether it was playing soccer and baseball at the same time or being a theater kid and playing sports. Nobody ever understands somebody who really is genuinely passionate about multiple things. Yeah, totally. I grew up on those comedy people that you mentioned, like them watching the Marx Brothers. Every New Year's Eve, we'd have fake champagne and we'd watch all of the Marx Brothers, all of the Three Stooges. So I have this huge comedy pedigree. I also love music, also love entertainment and uh, the same things that you like, computers, technology, all of those kinds of things. But people always just want to say, you have to be one, you have to pick one, or you can't like one or the other. And in my own very disjointed social media presence, I made a bunch of courses about audio stuff, audio engineering, frequencies, all of that. And then a lot of my content is comedy or this. It's like, oh, why do you make all this music stuff if you care about the planet and you care about entrepreneurship? It's like, but it's all part of it. So it's fascinating that you feel the same way. No, totally. I think we're all really creative beings and to stunt or ignore one side of ourselves because society says we have to have a label of what we love to do or title, um, I think is really old fashioned. And I think something I'm really passionate about is this kind of crucial yet often overlooked combination of science and art Um, because, you know, growing up, especially with very, you know, traditionally strict parents, they were like, I would hear a lot kind of this concept that art is a hobby, science is a career, 
go get your degree in science so you can have a steady job. Um, and I, but I really think that it's when science and art comes together is when we get the best innovations and products and like critical thinking and ideas of our time. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's the kind of stuff that Steve Jobs and Ed Catmull, Pixar, they've been saying this. Some of the most innovative people in the world have been saying those kinds of things. But it's still, I feel, not mainstream, but maybe it's changing, hopefully. Yeah, I, I think it'll change. It's just funny because, like, I remember joking to my friends, like, when I was trying to choose my my degree for my degree for university when I was in grade 12, I kept joking, like, Oh, if only there was a school where I could take film and science or film and electronics or singing yes. and performing right. in electronics. Like I had very specific interests and it never really felt that any program that I looked for could really offer that other than like NYU Gallatin, which allows you to create a degree of your own choosing with two areas, which I think should be the future of all universities. But my grades sucked, so I didn't get in there. And not that I wouldn't have ever been able to afford to go somewhere like that mm-hmm. without like dying in immense debt. So, mm-hmm. you know, I what I decided to do for my degree, I turned down an engineering scholarship because I didn't feel like it was fully what I wanted. Um, and I felt like there was a student who would be much more excited to get it than I was is I studied or I am studying English um, or English literature inside of school. And I learned about storytelling film and I have all these electives that I can take to like explore so many different interests that I have. And then outside of school, I have my own company. I've gotten patents for all my inventions. I speak and all these different things. So again, I can always have this balance of science and art. That's amazing. Do you know my dual degree in college? What was it? English literature and film. Oh, that's really cool. That's but awesome. I was DJing every weekend. Anyways, there not you go. To, it's just very <laughs> fast. Like I didn't know that, but this is really, really cool. Um, you are awesome. Yeah, this is really awesome. And in grade twelve, you created so following the trend of making things that convert energy from one form into another form. You created an e-drink, a mug that converts excessive heat from hot beverages to electricity to charge a cell phone. Where did that idea come from, and how did you know it was possible? Oh gosh. Um, I guess it came from like my friends at the time, they were always on their phones and I didn't have one yet. Um, I just had like an iPod, (laughs) um, and their phones would always run out of battery and then their coffee always took too long to cool down. And so I just came up with this idea. It's uses the same technology as the flashlight. Um, so it wasn't like a huge random thing that I discovered. Um, it was interesting though, because I felt very intimidated to make anything after this after the google science fair and after the flashlight because it got so much success so to make something to follow up which was also going to be my final science fair project was very intimidating for me in grade 12 and i very much procrastinated on that project until i absolutely had to finish and complete it um but i'm still really glad that i did that and it was a fun thing to make okay and that was 2015 right yeah so six years ago okay yeah 14 15 15 okay 15, yeah. Somewhere in there. All right. Well, and and you had done, at that point, three, I think, TEDx talks, perhaps. Uh, oh, you God. have been on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. So you're getting legitimate media attention. Time Magazine, Forbes, all of that. So you're into this media circus. How did that change your life? How did you feel about all of that? I mean, interviews get... 
really repetitive. Uh, All right, we'll cut it off. All right, that's it. <laughs> we're done here. No, this is. I'm sorry. Funny. I'm sorry. Okay. No, no, we're having a conversation, so it's okay. But I would always be like painting my nails while like doing phone interviews. Or mm-hmm. It was kind of a funny moment. Um, but it was, yeah, it was nice to have, and no one. I guess like I found that I could finally, I was really lucky to be given a platform and a voice all of a sudden. So I was like, oh my God, what do I say? Um, and then my parents obviously always wanted me to be well-spoken and set a good example and all that. So I always already had a lot of pressure in that sense. Um, but yeah, I mean, the media doesn't really, I mean, it. you say things and then people read them or listen to it later, but it's not something where I was like, completely changed my life in a way it was like oh ten now it's over to do today oh god now it's done um, i'm not that Never have to work again. Uh, but yeah i mean it's always nice when someone comes along and wants to hear more about me and my story at, at that point did you have your company already set up or was that in the future uh i don't remember when i did that i think it was 18 or 19 there's like a age that you have to turn in canada or at least in british columbia mm. to incorporate i think it was 18 or 19 so around then maybe 18 okay because i was gonna say like did you start getting the idea that this could be your whole life or at least your career at about that yeah, time Yeah, it was very terrifying for me to think that oh my god like i peaked when i was 15 with this flashlight like yeah. That's a really terrifying concept. And I used to worry about that a lot. I guess the past few years I haven't as much. Um, but I incorporated because I also realized, hey, when you have a company, taxes can be a bit better and you can have company expenses, mm-hmm. things like mm-hmm. that. And my patents could be owned by my company and not me. So if I was ever to sign something to license the patents or work with someone in business, I won't be personally liable, which is obviously a big thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there were a variety of reasons. I think I got very swept up with the whole like, ooh, I want to be an entrepreneur and I want to do the Teal Fellowship and all that sort of stuff. I got really swept up with that 2016 time, end of 2015. But then I realized that that wasn't really what I wanted to do either. It was just like I had a lot of friends that were in that area and it seemed very glamorous. But <laughs> the deeper I got in, the more I realized it's full of lies. Mm. <laughs> Or other stuff. I mean, it's not. Right. It's, it's the very smoke and mirrors, you know. Right. Do you consider yourself at heart, you said earlier, a creative person? Do you feel that you're more a creator than an entrepreneur? Yeah, I totally am. Uh, but I feel like nowadays you have to be a little bit of an entrepreneur, no matter what field you're in. I mean, obviously, maybe not for all, but like you have to be able to put yourself out there and pitch yourself and your ideas and sell yourself, unfortunately, (laughs) Um, and who you are to whatever client or potential client you're talking to. So in that sense, I've had to kind of take on that more entrepreneurial role. But for me, I've always preferred the more creative initial inventing part. But unfortunately, that does not always make money. Uh, So you have to be able to pitch your ideas as well. All right, so you're you said you're 24 now, right? You're a solid 11 years younger than me, so you're thoroughly in a different generation. How do you feel? I know this from TikTok that I'm a boomer, even though I'm not really, but I know that I'm I a dinosaur. I thought boomers were like 60-year-olds. Oh, no, they are. They are. But TikTok kids, I'm ancient as far as they're concerned. Oh, I know God. this from when joining that platform. they're old, they'll realize true. they were all wrong. That's true, but we're not there yet. So social media, necessary evil. How do you feel about social media in your life, Gosh. in your work? Um, 
I grew up not being on social media a whole lot, which was nice. I think I got Facebook when I was in grade eight, however, which was still late compared to the rest of my classmates. And I was only allowed to check it, I think, like on the weekends or something. And da, da, da. Um, I think social media is now necessary, depending what your role is and where you are in your career and life. Like some actors don't have any social media, like Jennifer Lawrence or whatever. And it's really cool. Honestly, like that I think is awesome. Um, she probably lives a slightly more peaceful existence than the most of us. That's, I would prefer to have a nun, but again, I have to be able to put myself out there and share what I'm doing. And it earns money if you do sponsored stuff, which is always nice. And I do like being able to share my thoughts and whatever that is and feeling like people are actually looking or reading it. Um, and sharing my interests, which I mainly post on social media, either pictures of myself where I'm cute or uh, pictures of dead people that are also cute Um, (laughs) or like old film stars or old films that I love. So, you know, I know that I would do much better on the internet if I made a bunch of science videos and talked about science all the time, but that wouldn't be true to who I was or who I am. Oh my goodness. I'm talking in past tense. Um, It wouldn't be true to who I am and what I love because I love both and I think that's really confusing for a lot of people Mm -hmm. like you know on Instagram there's kind of the thing where you can choose once you have a business page what are you like under your name it goes like yeah fashion model or influencer or like scientist but there's no like inventor or like creative person like I was like why can't I write my own thing um so it's just kind of frustrating and then it goes public figure and I was like that's what I had for a while but then I was like I'm not like Obama like I'm not like so what what is that? So, you know, it's quite frustrating. And unfortunately, a lot of people judge you based off your Instagram and what they see first. True. And so I try in general not to take it too seriously. And I'll either post cute pictures, work slash sponsored stuff or things that I really love, which are usually always films or dead people. Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting thing. And when you put it out there, I think because you don't get that instant feedback like you would if a live audience, like if I tell a joke in front of a live audience, they either laugh or they don't laugh. You get that instant feedback. But the interesting thing about social media is that we share personal things or we share occasionally we share a little snippet of something that we actually feel and you just sort of spew it out into the void. But then sometime later, somebody will say somebody you don't know. Hey, do you remember when you said that thing? And that always makes me feel very strange because it's, it's like, of course I said that, but it's, you almost don't expect anybody to remember anything you say yeah. or to have thought about anything you say because you don't know. So there's that weird disjointed thing. Do you ever feel that where somebody Yeah, like of a, of knows a conversation of something you said months ago and you're like, right. yeah, I did say that. Yeah, it's definitely a bizarre feeling. I mean, I try not to take it too seriously, but I also try and be like, Maybe I should hold back on some of the things that I mm-hmm. feel like saying and like take a day mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, if I'm a bit emotional. Um, but I think it's kind of like, also it's like putting it out there. Who knows? Who will see it? Like, right. I don't know. It's something you need to take seriously, but also not take seriously at all, which is kind right. of the difficult. The great <laughs> paradox of our time. Yeah, a great paradox. I completely yeah. agree with you. There's that balance of how serious you need to take it. How funny can you be? How creative can you be? How silly can you be and still be taken seriously? It's just so yeah. weird. It's weird. It's weird. I I don't really know how to navigate it. I'm not a perfect person and I don't have millions of followers. So I couldn't say that, you know, speak to their experience or like an actual big influencer's experience. Mm-hmm. But I try to, sometimes in the mood, I'm in the mood to like 
give the people what they want. And sometimes mm-hmm. I'm not at all. Right. And that's when I post some like weird tango by George raft that nobody has seen. And it's like a bad quality video that yeah. I ripped off YouTube. And I'm like, I really freaking love this. So I'm sharing it with people. Yeah. You'll just have to put up with it or you can unfollow me. I don't care. So I just like try and put things that I enjoy because at the end of the day, like, why would I spend this whole time creating a profile of my virtual self if it's not stuff that I love and instead stuff that I feel like I have to put out there because mm-hmm. this is what does well on the, on the algorithm or whatever. So, so yeah. true. So true. Very wise. Yeah, I completely agree. It's a trade-off that you can make. Um, so five years down the road, 10 years down the road, if your life went just perfectly, everything goes according to your new plan. What does that look like? Okay, I'll do 10 years. Oh, okay. 34. That's so long. Uh, trust me, it doesn't feel very good to be 30. I'm 35. Just okay, five enjoy years where down. enjoy where you're at, right? Just but anyways, that's another okay, conversation. No, that's good yeah. advice. All right, ten years. Five years down the road, best case scenario, I have I live a bi-coastal life, cool. an apartment in New York, a mansion in Los Angeles or outside Beautiful. of Los Angeles in California. At my mansion, I have a pool, which is all I've wanted since a kid is a pool in California. Yeah. Um, and I'll have two goats, two um, goats. a few chickens a bunch of cats, maybe one or two dogs and somebody who like takes care of all of them. Cause I don't want to like pick up the poo. Then I um, will hopefully have some sort of product line out by then. But most importantly, I will have hosted a TV show uh, about uh, futurism. So Ooh. that is, cause that is my current project that I can't discuss too much on, but okay. that is something that I'm, really excited about and I'm working with a production company on. So that's what I hope to do. I hope I'm a host because I think the main things I want to do is both educate and entertain, which was mm-hmm. the motto of new German cinema directors, but nobody cares about that. Um, so that's kind of what I want to do with my work, no matter what area it's in. So I hope I will have hosted, or maybe I'm still hosting a TV show by then. Um, and I'm getting to work more and writing and directing more in film. Um, and yeah, still inventing. I, again, I want to have the flashlights out in some form by then. And I hope I have a nice man um, as well. And I don't think I want a child until like my mid thirties, like push yeah. it off for a while. Good. Push it off. Like, honestly. Push I it mean, off. It's amazing. I, like I have classmates from high school that already have kids and I'm like, oh my God, I could not handle that. Like I'm so impressed, but I just like could not do it at this age. I would be like, a mess. <laughs> no, 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 don't. Push it off as long yeah. as you can. Because once you flip that can. switch, it's done. It's That's totally it. different. There's yeah. your life before and your life after, and there is no overlap. No yeah. overlap. So if you're doing good things, focus on this life. <laughs> yeah, I agree. We're going to do a little sound effect. Whoosh, to cut to a little commercial, but you know what the commercial is for. You just don't do it. You know, I, I believe in Christmas, at least insofar as giving each other gifts. I believe that I like gifts. Don't you like getting gifts? What kind of gift can somebody receive who puts out effort day in, day out to bring you value and joy? What kind of gift does such an incredible example of the human spirit deserve, I ask you? Well, how about this? How about something you can do in 15, 20, even 30 seconds? How about just rating this podcast five stars on Apple Podcasts? How about leaving a positive review on Apple Podcasts? 
How about sharing this episode? Just hitting that little sharey share button and just sharing it with anybody in your network to help this podcast grow. Well, that'd be a pretty wonderful Christmas gift, I think. So if you want to bring this little good boy joy this Christmas season, all I ask is that you do that. And now back to the show. You know, the, the one thing I've learned, I have a three-year-old daughter. The one thing that I have learned is that nobody on earth should ever, ever be convinced to have kids. Ever. Yeah, they should like it's, really Yeah, feel like if it's somebody time. really yeah. wants it, fine, great, awesome, go nuts, do whatever you want. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. nobody should ever convince anybody else ever to do that for I, a million I reasons. Agree. 100%. I mean, so my dad I will had never me do that. late. He okay. had me already when he was in his 50s, I believe. Whoa, um, interesting. And my okay. mom was 36, which was you like... You hear that too often, yeah. Right at the cusp of not being right. able to have a child. But, you know, by the time I'm in my mid-30s, who knows what technology will be like. True, it'll for, be 50, 60. Such big jumps. He might be the um, first person to live to be 200. Don't <laughs> I don't know but if like, I want to live 200 All bets years, are honestly. off, you know? <laughs> I'm like, I'm riding that line, you know? It's like, yeah. will we, won't we? You yeah. know, I'll either make it to 80 or 150, but I feel like I'm right on the edge of technology catching up with it's that. It's fascinating. But. I'm really excited to see what happens and also slightly terrified, but mm-hmm. mostly excited for how technology will change our lives in the next few years, next few decades. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think that's the main thing. So basically, again, doing art and science and with whatever work I'm doing, um, inspiring other people to just follow whatever their passions are and, and again, embrace this idea of combining multiple areas and passions um, of their lives and not leaving one behind to pursue the other. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that's, if there was a thesis for my entire show and life, that would basically be it. And I didn't know that <laughs> before I met you, but that's very cool that we're on the same page about that. So do you still see that, you said inventing will still be a part of your life. How, how do you go about that? Are you going to have a studio? Do you have a studio? Do you have like a workshop where you have parts and you put things together? Oh, gosh. I mean, I have a workplace that I've always had at home in our basement that I really love in New York. I live in a studio. It's very limited space. Um, again, with COVID, I didn't want to rent out a space anyways. Um, I, for the past two years, let me know. Well, it's already October. Okay, so two years ago, from 2019, from early 2018 to late 2020, I'd been working on a line of children's toys that run off of green energy. I saw that. It's awesome. Then I had to stop all of that, uh, unfortunately, due to some scenarios. Mm. So I cannot use any of those designs anymore. Um, and I figured that out, uh, basically this January. So I kind of had to restart everything, which is why I've decided to focus more on my book and my TV show instead and take a little break. But I hope in this coming new year in 2022, I'll be able to pick off that. I hope in this coming year in 2022, I'll be able to pick up where I left off and, um, create a different set of children's toys or something that use my patented flashlights technology. Uh, but yeah, the past two years, I made this whole line of children's toys. It was really fun. It was an amazing learning experience for me. And to be able to invent again alongside a couple other girls was really cool. Uh, but I made some bad business decisions uh, and that is completely on me. But I'm glad I made those big mistakes then when I was young. So I know exactly what not to do 
in my coming years. Um, I've always been quite disillusioned from the business world, but I think I always also went in with a pessimistic mindset that nothing would work out and then nothing ever has. Mm. Um, but again, I've had no experience in it like prior to the Google Science Fair and like all of that. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people, which is understandable in the business world, want to take advantage right. of younger entrepreneurs or people who yeah. don't necessarily know a lot about what's going on and just want to make stuff and are excited about that part instead of the business part. And now I've realized that I have to be much more interested and invested in the business part to make sure that what's going on is fair. Um, so it was a big learning experience, but so yeah, I've had to take a break, but I'm excited to start again in 2022. Just like uh, Casablanca. Are you a fan of that movie? Yes, of course. Vultures, vultures everywhere. Exactly, exactly. My dad. The very person who's supposed to be shielding you from the vultures is the biggest vulture of all. Isn't that how it goes? But, you know, I think, so for me, it's easy to be cynical. And the reason that I started this show is if you look at Black Mirror, sometimes I watch Black Mirror, those things, Mm -hmm. and I think, oh, my God, yes, that is exactly what Amazon will become. That is exactly what Facebook will become. So easy to become cynical, jaded, also with the political climate, the happenings of the last several years. Very, very easy to say everything sucks. It's all going to be worse. We're just on a steady downhill decline from here on out. Harder to be optimistic and harder to see the positivity but I wanted to do this show so that I could find people who actually were doing cool things so that I didn't get too cynical so that I realized okay not everybody's horrible there are great people out there too and there are really cool people doing really cool things and some of the things that I'm excited about in the future are the kind of things that will take a person like you out of those scenarios where you're relying on somebody else in a business situation I think a lot of NFTs in that world is total crap. I think most of them will just go down in value over the years, especially like, oh, I've got a little ape avatar in my Twitter bio. That's Is that really going to be <laughs> worth 200 grand in 100? I, I don't believe it, but maybe I'm wrong. But the cool part of all that is that somebody like you has a chance now to connect directly with an audience, to connect directly with people who might want to buy your stuff in a way that doesn't require permission or authority or somebody else as a middle person between you and the ultimate person that you're selling something to. Mm -hmm. Do you feel the same way that part of your plan is to go direct to your fans or whoever's watching? Yeah, it's just hard because the amount of fans you have does not necessarily translate into the amount of sales. It's usually Mm -hmm. a much more minute number Mm -hmm. of the people that actually follow you that will invest in whatever you're offering them as a product. Um, so it's, it's definitely, I think though, like if you have millions of followers, that's why like influencers today are, it's just insane. Or like we're seeing now with TikTok stars, it's like crazy how fast their careers have just taken off um, yeah. due to followers because followers made money. Um, and it, it's a crazy concept and it's really interesting to see what society is putting most value on people wise yes. or job wise. Yes. Um, and some would argue it's unfair. I'm sure the people in that who are not in that place would argue it's unfair. And people who are in that place would be like, Oh my God, this is amazing. I can't believe I'm making this much amount of money. So it's definitely a difficult concept to discuss, but yes, I do believe obviously like reaching out to people who follow me and asking them to fund, you know, a Kickstarter or whatever it is would be great. But it's, it's a, for example, to do a Kickstarter is a lot of work because, yes, you get the money, but then you have to do literally everything else mm-hmm. or hire a company and they do part of it and you do part of it. Like, 
it's quite a lot of work to launch a product from an idea that you have in your head. And it takes an immense amount of time and dedication and skill, unless you like are just coming in as a celebrity to endorse a product or like you have some, an idea and you already have like all the resources at your fingertips. It's yeah. a lot different. I'm not saying it's less difficult, but it's a lot different to be like Kylie Jenner and be like, I want to launch a makeup line versus someone who's like a girl in science and being like, I have a product and I am not this wealthy. Let me try and launch something, you know? You don't want to make something that just buys into that. Like, oh, look, here's new beauty products just for you, <laughs> right? Here's yeah, a new I line mean, of mascara. Yeah, I mean, everyone has different passions and whatever, but it's, again, also getting a product that has electronics in it is a lot yeah. more pricey and can add a lot more complications right. when you're trying to get something on the market. So, and I personally... Yes, I want to get some sort of product on the market or my flashlights, but I don't want to spend mm -hmm. my whole life doing that. And I think that's maybe why also I could have taken it off. I could have taken off further or faster with that if I had dropped out of school and done the whole startup and being an entrepreneur and lived in Silicon Valley. But again, I don't think that's true to who I am and what I want to do. Um, and I still want to be able to pursue my passions in the arts and films. So maybe it's finding a partner who can mm -hmm. take over a lot of it for me. Or I always believe that licensing my ideas out would make the most sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's a great idea. I should put you in touch with one of my other guests, uh, Ben Stern of Nobo. He's oh, I know him. I, he's like oh, okay. He's like my fetus younger brother. Yeah. Oh, okay. I yeah, thought he maybe because I saw he was your guest, and I was like, yes. oh, maybe he told you about me. Um, and that's why I'm invited. But yeah, I've known Ben since 2016. I okay. think we met at this like entrepreneurial conference when, mm -hmm. when both he and I were both like tiny children. Um, mm -hmm. But it was, yeah, I've known him for years. He's the sweetest and he's doing that's really hilarious. good stuff. And he's hilarious. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's a small world. Well, okay, good. At least yeah. I wasn't way off base there with the recommendation. No, no, no. But. <laughs> But yeah, you know, you said you mentioned Los Angeles. Well, I live in Glendale. I used to live in the heart in Hollywood um, for for many years, and we live in Influencer Central. And you drive what by these. What is it these... like? What is it like living in? LA? Oh, it's Your it's opinion? well, okay, it's great. It's amazing and also terrifying. It's gonna blow your mind. The things that you hate about startup business world that's intensified. And make no mistake, there are more sharks and vultures in the entertainment industry than probably mm -hmm. anywhere on earth. Horrible, horrible people. And I read a lot of memoirs, like William Goldman, one of my favorite uh, writers, author of The Princess Bride. He details in one of his books just how awful and random and chaotic. It's, it's bad, of course. So you've got that side of the traditional entertainment industry. And lest we forget Harvey Weinstein. I mean, there's a very dark side of all of this. Mm -hmm. And nowadays, you've got these influencer houses, right? So some entrepreneurial mind person is like, oh, I'm going to get 10, 15 of these TikTok stars. We're going to put them all in a house. And you can in drive house, by yeah. these houses. And, you know, I was driving by the, the Hollywood Reservoir the other day. And there's you see these, like, Lamborghinis parked out in front, all these kids. Like, I mean, it's crazy to live in a world where they're the millionaires and they're the yeah. rich people because they're just idiots all the time. That's just my <laughs> belief. And it's like this, you, you see firsthand how money and good things does not, it's, they're, they're, they don't correlate with each other at all. It's like mm. the people who have a lot of money are not necessarily doing the most amazing things. They might be doing the most shocking things. Well, like, Jeff Bezos is also a great example. So True. Yeah. What's yeah. up with that? This is a very strange <laughs> human being, clearly. But yeah. it's like, oh, they've got this house. What do they do back there? They stacked 
10 trampolines on top of each other. Hey, bro, like we're going to climb up to the tent. We're going to do a backflip into a pool. Yeah, it's like it's millions of views. And that's it's what crazy. all the kids are watching. But people watch it. So They watch yeah, it. It's insane. So like that's the what happens when we live in a world of algorithms. Those yeah. people get the followers, they get the views, and then people are like, hey, anybody want to talk about like climate change or... No, nobody. Yeah. Okay. All right. So it's insane. It's crazy. It's, I do feel be like, like this generation really is a little more woke in that sense. So like, yeah. I do feel like they are more conscious about climate change and all those things. Like I def and, and more like social issues and, and racism and all of that. Like I definitely feel like mm-hmm. kids that are younger than me know much more about it than I did at their age of like mm-hmm. 16, 17, but also the amount of content being made that is absolute garbage is crazy. And I, as a parent, I would be so afraid to give my child any form of social media. Terrified. I would probably go move to a cabin in like the middle. Terrified. Of- <laughs> I mean, Beyond no, I don't want my terrified. child to be like unsocialized, but I would definitely, I mean, when I, like the amount of times I've seen kids just like hypnotized to their parents' phone or whatever, it's just terrifying for me. No, I think when when my daughter turns 16, I'm going to be like, okay, hon, here you go. Here's a needle. Here's some heroin. Go nuts. (laughs) No phone, though. (laughs) No social media. Any drug you can think of is better than this thing, I think. I mean, it is. I mean, social media is literally like the way our brains have adapted to it and the responses our brains have is is like a serious drug, which is crazy. And I mean... I'm sure when Steve Jobs invented the iPhone, he wasn't planning on this, any of this really happening. If anything, he wanted it to be, he saw it as a tool and a functional tool. But I think all of us, I think undeniably in some way abuse the use of a phone as a tool um, Mm -hmm. in our daily lives. And instead of something that fills a void. And I think being bored, especially as a young person, but also as an adult is so important and I think not enough of us give ourselves the time to be bored and have nothing to do and see what happens and what ideas we come up with, what we gravitate towards doing. Because now when we get the slightest sense of being bored, when we're waiting in line or whatever that is, we go on our phones and that distracts us from what is going on inside. Wow, that was deep. I didn't mean to Candy I didn't crush. Know if that was going to come out. I'm just trying to beat my high score. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> You're inventing stuff. I'm like, come on, man, let's go. Um, yeah, that's so true. So if you did bring out, we're, we're, you know, running down the clock here a little bit, but if you did bring your flashlight out, who do you think needs it most? Is it mostly something that you see benefiting developing countries, countries without power grids? Yeah, I think for the most part, I'd love to put it in emergency kits because there's mm. no batteries inside mm. them. They can so they'll sit for years because when batteries sit, corrosion happens, et cetera. It's not good for the environment. So they can sit for years in these kits, and then when you needed a small amount of light in emergency settings, that could be the place. Um, my flashlights are not comparable to battery-run flashlights and brightness, just because the technology I use, which is called Peltier tiles, Peltier tiles, otherwise known as thermoelectric generators, they're less than 10% efficient. Now they're getting up to 15, 20, which is great. Um, but usually the most cheapest tiles you could buy, which is what we would use, are less than 10% efficient in harvesting and con- converting this electricity into, uh, it's converting this temperature differential into energy. So 
definitely in emergency kits or as reading lights, which makes sense because that's what I designed it for anyways in the first place. Um, it was never something that I feel like at least for the next few years is feasible to be like, oh, I'm going camping. Let me see six feet in front of me with my handheld flashlight because it's just not that bright. Maybe if I added a battery in it or solar cell or something, but then again, like all solar cell flashlights usually have batteries inside of them or else they wouldn't work when it's dark. And I don't think right. people like understand, like they're still not that environmentally friendly if something has a battery inside of it. Right. So it's kind of looking how to combat that. So that's why when I designed this line of children's toys, it made a lot of sense to me because like, for example, I made a toy where like the eyes would light up when you put your hand on the toy. So therefore it doesn't need to be a useful amount of light, but it is kind of this magical property for kids. It seems very exciting. And that made way more sense. So that's why I also feel for like next year, when I start working on the toys again, doing something in the children's space. And also because so many kids have been inspired by the flashlight story, um, that makes a lot more sense at first. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Now, from an outsider, like you said, maybe people have mischaracterized you or only focused on one part of your existence. If you're the archetype of the child prodigy or whatever, um, how have there been moments where things didn't work out? You mentioned a few business things that didn't work out. What were some of the hard moments? What were some of the times when it was really tough? Um, I just, I think just realizing when things didn't work out, whether it was in business stuff or in trying to invent something and it didn't work. Um, those are always tough moments. It feels much more dramatic in the moment than like right now when I'm talking about it, like fully recovered. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, I guess like failure in your personal or professional life is always a difficult thing to deal with and to acknowledge and to also acknowledge that you can't always blame it on the other person. Like sometimes it's your fault as well. Um, yeah, I think those are always difficult times. I also had a run in with a brain inflammation back in 2017, that. knock on yeah. wood, that won't happen again, but, um, that was really difficult. I was like lying down for four months. I didn't do anything. I had to drop out of school mm -hmm. for that semester. The whole right side of my body stopped working properly. Oh my, God. my cerebellum was inflamed. So that was a really scary moment. I was really lucky to be able to make a full recovery. Um, I think Honestly, right now, because I'm having a lot of dreams and they're all like nightmares, like mm -hmm. every night. <laughs> and I feel like that anxiety is coming from my fear of failure right now. If I don't get this TV show picked up because I really want to do it. And I feel like it's the thing that makes the most sense for me um, for a multitude of reasons and what the show is about and which I can't discuss, but mm -hmm. it just feels like the perfect fit for me. And I just can't imagine going on next year, not having this picked up and not doing it. So I guess that's kind of terrifying for me right that now. That is terrifying. Yeah. Well, I'll be sending good vibes your way. I really Thank hope you, you get it. I think you're more than capable of whatever it is. I'm sure it'll work out. So just. I hope so. Just well, try, to, hard because <laughs> try not to. Yeah. Pitching, pitching me as a host is great because I'm bringing such a very unique background that nobody really has True. when it comes to hosting from the yes. science and the film space. I agree. But I don't have millions of followers. And unfortunately that is a big currency yes. nowadays, especially if you're hosting a show and people, you know, if the rock is yet. hosting a show, way more right. people are going to tune in automatically, not even caring what the show's about yeah. versus if I host it. So there's a lot of things that ways to deal with, but hopefully the LA execs will see past that and want me as a person. Uh, but we will see. 
you know, it's there's still time. You'll get your millions of followers yet, I'm sure. <laughs> and then we'll have a different conversation a few years down the road. Yes. You're like, oh my god, why did I want that? <laughs> no. uh, another quick question. All right, so of all the stuff you've done, so many cool things. What are you most proud of up till now? Well, I don't know. I don't really like go to sleep at night thinking how proud I am of myself. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. I guess being able to sustain a career after the whole child genius thing mm-hmm. faded away because I'm an ancient 24 year old now. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like a lot of people could have had a lot of success at the Google science fair and taken off with it, but a lot of people didn't, which really surprised me. Um, but I'm, so I feel really lucky that I was able to take that and run and really do something with that. And I feel really lucky to have had such wonderful parents and such an interesting upbringing that helped me prepare for that. Um, and yeah, I just feel lucky to, and I'm proud to be here and living and all that. Yeah. I think my, right. the stuff I'm most yeah. proud of is much yet to come. Good. For sure. Good philosophy. Uh, intelligence, curse or blessing? Oh, blessing. Oh my gosh. Can you imagine like not having an opinion on things? Like, oh my gosh, you meet such a variety of people in New York. Some are so intelligent and like, it's, I have amazing conversations with people. And then other people I'm like, what is happening inside the head? Cause I don't, I can't talk to this person. Um, so I, oh, it's, it's a blessing. It might be a curse cause you overthink things. Or for me, I overimagine and overthink Right. Things and imagine scenarios that seem so much more grander. And then when it happens in real life, it's so underwhelming. That's more yeah. my imagination than my intelligence. Um, it's a blessing. I think I, I'm so hungry to learn every day and read books and like watch films and analyze things and have an opinion on something. Mm. I think that's a really valuable skill to have is to just have strong opinions on topics or a niche subject or whatever you're interested in. Um, because that really, I think, also shows other people that if they want to work with you, you can offer a very unique kind of opinion or take on something that they won't find with anyone else. Mm-hmm. And when you think about living up to your potential or what the world thinks of a child prodigy or whatever, has that caused stress? Do you think, oh my God, they expected me to be here and I'm oh, not totally, there? totally. I actually think like mid grade twelve to. Uh, early of my second year of university, I actually got quite depressed. Um, I think it was a lot for me to take in. I was processing also a lot of things that I had recalled from my personal life that I had pushed back. Um, And also having all this pressure of being a teenage science person and feeling like I needed to live up to that was a lot. Um, I forgot your question already. Sorry. Just the gap between what people expect or think yeah, of you and I, or your yeah, potential. Just, but I think now... You'll definitely have achieved this by the time you're 24. <laughs> oh, you'll have $15 million yeah. in the bank. Totally. I, I mean, I think I definitely felt that pressure more as a young person. But I think the past few years, especially living in New York, I've really grown into myself and who I am. And also being, to share, being able to share through my social media a more genuine version of mm-hmm. who I am and all the different facets of my character. So, yeah. Were, were you awarded, did I get this correct from your website, that you were awarded Entrepreneur's Future Young Millionaires Award? Yeah, it's called Entrepreneur Magazine's Young Millionaires. Um, okay. They put me on the list. Yeah. Definitely I'm not a millionaire or else I would well, have my pool. 
That's what I was going to ask about. I was like, that seems like kind of a dick move <laughs> like, to put it on a kid. But like, it's happening. Maybe it's young yeah, millionaires. Of, of course. No, no. It, it, it will. You've got so much time ahead of you. But I just think that's a very interesting thing as a magazine to do, to put yeah, that. Like, here, I didn't here's know another what it, brick on your shoulder. No, it's not a brick. For me, okay. it's kind of, it's, I don't know. For me, it's, it's kind good. of like, sure. Like, I didn't even know what it was yeah. when they approached me. And then I was mm. like, okay, sure. Like, that sounds yeah. great. Please, someone read this. Make me a millionaire. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but I guess it's also good motivation for me. Yeah, you know, um, to to work harder and just you know want to be more financially stable so I can take care of my parents as they're retiring fully, both of them by the end of this year. And like, yeah, it's not a break for me. It's just something that's like, oh, this is cool. Uh, mm-hmm. Thank you. I'm definitely not, but I'll work very hard and hopefully get there. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you have at least one more fan for what it's worth in your corner. I think what you've been up to is really cool. I, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. I really enjoyed learning about your story. I'm in awe of what you've been able to do and and who you are as a person. I had no idea when I first <laughs> set this up. So it's been awesome to do that. Um, so thank you for one thing. And keep on going. You'll get there. I have no doubt in my mind. It's all going to work out swimmingly. And when you do move out here, just let me know. <laughs> when you eventually <laughs> get your place in California, let me know. Um, one last thing. Anybody who has ideas, like you said, so many people talk with their friends and they have ideas. I'm guilty of that in the extreme. People who have ideas. How? What advice do you have for somebody young or old who uh, needs the advice to make that I would, The advice I would have would be don't be afraid to ask other people for help because they'll often see a younger version of themselves in you and you never know what you can get until you ask. So just ask people for what you need or what you want. Um, Don't give up, even if it sucks, but make sure that you're 110% invested and you're not doing it just because of monetary reasons or whatever, like make sure it's something you're really interested in because Whatever idea you have, you have, you'll probably be stuck with it for a very long time. So make sure you're really passionate about it. Um, and rem- I think the most important thing that kind of runs through my life and has since I was a kid is how precious time is. So be prepared, especially if, an I- if you have an idea that you want to bring to market, that you'll have to make a lot of sacrifices um, along the way, whether it be with going to events or social stuff or whatever that might be in order to clear the time in your schedule to really work on this thing that you love. But hopefully it will pay off. Well, I can think of no better way to wrap up this episode. Again, thank you. Um, And with that, the official podcast is over. Man, I enjoyed our chat there. Sometimes I feel crazy because I love so many different things. And it's great to talk to a kindred spirit, somebody who was defined by the world as one thing but then who found other things that she was passionate about and who feels that she's able to be a renaissance woman. In the past, we used to admire these traits in people. We used to like people who are renaissance people, da Vinci and so on, but somewhere along the way, we kind of pigeonholed everybody. And I don't really like it, and that is why I created this podcast, because it's the opposite of what the world is doing. I love celebrating renaissance folk of all kind, And I'm just thrilled and honored that she was able to join me on this podcast. So if you've enjoyed this show or any of the shows, you know what you can do. Again, it's Christmas spirit, Christmas season, so it's time to donate a little to this show. And all you can do is rate it five stars on Apple Podcasts. That's right, five stars, ladies and gentlemen, on Apple Podcasts. And 
You can also take the time to leave a positive review on Apple Podcasts. You can also take the time to subscribe on YouTube. Do whatever you can. Share this episode. Share the show in general with anybody. And then you'll make this little Christmas boy oh so happy. Thank you for listening to or watching the Beat the Off and Path podcast. I'm your host, Ross Palmer, and I will see you next Friday.